um, would be one of the most hopeful and encouraging sermons that you have ever heard. We're looking at this trend that we have seen really throughout the Bible where anything that is true, that is righteous, that is just coming from God himself, from the literal beginning of time, we see that there has been this consistent attack on the righteousness of God. There's this consistent attack on what is true and right and just in the eyes of God. And to be honest, it is a never ending rebellion. It is a never ending onslaught of idolatry and persecution, the works in order to destroy God's creation and to disrupt God's created order. If we look throughout the Bible, we will see that same theme consistently throughout where Satan is using devices in order to attack the righteousness of God. And it's rather pervasive. And to be honest, there isn't a moment in history where that specific thing isn't happening. It's always happening. Now, the reason I bring this all up in today's sermon is because one of the misnomers about the Christian faith is that people think that when they come to faith, that mostly because of the prosperity gospel, that things only take an upturn from there and anything that they want, desire and will will happen for them because now they're a Christian. But I think the most consistent trend that we will see and we'll see very clearly today is that when we identify ourselves as Christians, when we are saved, that uptick that we are expecting doesn't actually happen. In fact, very often things seemingly take a turn for the worse. And so what I hope you see today is the sermon title is unstoppable, but that's not about you. You are very much stoppable. <laughs> you are very much fallible. It's not about you. The unstoppable characteristic belongs only to God and God alone. And by proxy, those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, only then will our work and our lives mimic that of Jesus Christ, knowing that nothing could stop and will stop the plan of God. Now, unfortunately, many of us don't realize that we have not been prosperity in the gospel. In fact, we've been promised another P word, and that is persecution. That is actually the guarantee of the Christian life and the prosperity that many of us are chasing will never actually happen for us until we get to eternity. And so keeping that in mind, we should all be on this upward trajectory where we are living our lives not to have heaven on earth, but rather to experience heaven and all its fullness and glory when we pass from here, death to eternal life. That's the plan. Some of those lessons are taught to us most clearly, I think, through the work and words of the apostles. Now, so much of what happens to them and with them is so essential for us to know what should happen with us when we face trials of various kinds in our own lives. Now, we have to remember as we go into the sermon that anything we are able to survive, anything that we are able to persevere over, anything we are able to accomplish is not because of our own strength and ability or our own goodness but it is because of the strength, ability, and the goodness of God. 
not us. And to be even clearer, there is nothing and there is no one who can stop the plan and the work of God. The most important factor for us in this room is that we must ensure that the work that we are doing individually and then when we come together collectively as a body is, in fact, a work for the Lord. You'll be surprised how many times we say that the work that we're doing for the Lord is really a work for ourselves. It is self-sacrifice. And there have been preachers who preach not for the truth of the gospel and not for the Lord, but for themselves. There have been musicians not for the glory of God, but for themselves. You can do anything in life and do it for your own glory and think that you are attaching just enough Jesus for you to get credit for it. That's not how it works. In today's sermon, we're going to see that Paul is going to be stoned. And only by the grace of God is he actually going to be able to survive that stoning. And that is going to allow him to continue in the ministry, continue spreading the gospel. Now, I understand that none of us in here perhaps are facing stoning. I would be probably the most likely person in the room to face a stoning. But... We are all facing our own personal trials and tribulations. And if you are experiencing them right now, if you're in the thick of those trials and tribulations right now, then they are significant to you. And while they may not be a stoning, they may feel just as crushing to you in your life where you are right now. And so I don't want to undermine the fact that you may be facing a trial, that you may be facing tribulation. But my hope is that today's sermon will help you bear the weight of whatever you may be going through even better today. Jump with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas and Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for one more opportunity to worship together, to fellowship in the word, God. We just thank you that you have given us the word to address every possible twist and turn that could occur in our life and God we just pray 
that the truth that we are receiving from scripture today will be so important and that it will be an encouragement, God, to us that no matter what we face, no matter where we are, as long as we remain faithful to the truth of the scriptures, there's nothing that can stop the plan and the work of God in our lives. It is in your name we pray. Amen. So again, we are just thankful for the word. So there could literally probably be an entire book written and titled The Sufferings of the Apostle Paul. If somebody wrote that book, it would probably actually be enough to fill up one of the books of the Bible because we see that the suffering of Paul is constant. Now, I would even add to you this, though we see all what we think is the suffering of Paul, what we are probably getting is still an abridged version of what he actually went through. Even with that, his suffering is well documented. From the time that Paul confessed Christ until the time that he was beheaded in prison, you could almost argue that his life his life here went on a downward spiral from the time that he didn't confess Christ. In fact, the worst his physical condition got, it was almost like the better his spiritual condition got. And so as Paul was strengthened and encouraged in the Lord and his relationship with God, he was beaten more and more. The point that the Bible says that he was crooked, that he could barely stand. And by the time of his death, though he would have been in his early 60s, he resembled that of an almost 80 year old. Because he had been beaten with such disgust by those people who didn't like that he was proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Much of that can be credited to the extent of the numerous beatings he suffered at the hands of the Jews and the Romans for that testimony. If that wasn't enough, though, he was mocked and ridiculed because of what he surrendered to. And if you don't know this, not only that, but the rumors went around that Paul had actually gone out of his mind because he was so learned that all of that intelligence had compiled on him and that he had lost his mind. You can see that evidence when he goes before Felix, when he goes before Herod, and when he goes before Caesar, they all say, Paul, your great learning has driven you mad. So not only is he in a terrible physical state, but there are even rumors about him that not only did he not actually witness the resurrection of Jesus, but that he had almost just dreamt it, that he had gone into a psychosis, and that they were spreading that lie around about him. Now, we see all this, we see the extent of his suffering, and it seemed as if it were enough to crush him, yet somehow Paul is not crushed by any of the things that he has to suffer through. Amazingly, miraculously, instead of being crushed, he actually endures. We see this enduring strength, and when we see it, we must realize that this does not come from Paul, the man himself. Listen, I love to, to lift up and to celebrate all of these faithful men and women in the Bible, but what we must remember is that they were men and women. 
They were just as flawed and sinful and broken as all of us are. And so the reason why is important, as Paul reminded us last week, I am just a man like you. The reason why it is important for us to remember that is because they are not doing anything more than what we are capable of doing ourselves. See, what happens when we deify these regular men and women, we think that what they did is a greater extent than what we can do. And that's not true because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that was in Paul is the same Holy Spirit that should be in all of us. And that was the source of his endurance. It was not in his own flesh. It was not in his own strength. And so knowing that he is empowered by the spirit, what is the other driving force in the life of Paul and the myriad examples of the other believers that we've seen in the Bible that keeps them faithful and striving on this marathon of the faith? I think it's easy. It's the only point in today's sermon. Their work was for God. Their work was for God. This truth doesn't just resonate with the life of Paul, but it resonates with every faithful man and woman that we read about in the Bible who served God over the course of history. See, what happens is that when one has dedicated their life to the work and word of Jesus, their focus is undoubtedly narrowed. I remember recently we were watching television and well, Krista was and we were getting ready to take the kids outside and Elliot said something to me and walked right out the door. And like a minute later, Krista goes, is Elliot asleep? I was like, uh, no, he literally just walked right past you. She was like, what? I said, not only did he walk past you, he actually stopped and talked to me. She had no consciousness that this had even happened because she was so focused on what she was watching. In a much larger, in a much broader way, that should be the same case with those of us who are believers as we are keeping our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus Christ and eternity. That all the distractions, all the obstacles, all the things of the world that come to sift us as wheat, we don't even see it because we are too focused on the goal ahead of us. And that is on Jesus Christ alone. We should be so fixed on eternity that all the things that would come pull us away, we don't even know. We have these eternal blinders on that stop us from looking to the left or to the right, but focusing on what has been set before us. And for us, when the course of our lives and the ship of our lives hits rough waters and calm waters and what would seemingly upset us, we can remain focused, knowing that we are on a great course, a great marathon, and the journey is not written in the moments and the ups and downs of our lives, but it is written and etched for us in eternity. 
We must remember that we are ultimately headed for an eternal destination and we cannot be distracted by what seems like an interruption in that destination. A man here in Paul is actually stoned and once he recovers, he gets up and continues to preach the gospel as if nothing had happened. He doesn't go back and complain, doesn't make a post about all the people that did him wrong. He gets up and he continues the work of God because he knows the severity of the call for which he has been called. But he also knows that he has a finite amount of time in which he can work, which is why the Bible says we must work while it is day, because when the night comes, no man can work. It is a bit funny to me that the American culture has so much invaded our Christianity that we're all moving towards this trajectory of retirement. We are all looking and longing for a day that we no longer have to work. But the reality is, is that if you are a Christian, you better leave this house working. You better leave this house occupied until the day Jesus Christ calls you home. There is no retirement for the work of a believer. There are no days off. There are no vacations. We are about the truth of the gospel 24-7. Can't get tired. But I want you to see that What Paul is able to do is not just because his work is for God, but it is because he is actually saved and redeemed through the power of the Holy Spirit. I have seen many a believer who failed to continue to do the work of God, though they thought they were doing his work. They were missing the driving force behind it, which is the Holy Spirit. There are many people who have been saved according to this cheap believism that we place out there now. Just walk down the aisle and you're saved. Just slip up your hand and you're saved. And they are convinced that they have something that they don't because we wanted to make salvation as easy as possible. Because we're not really concerned about the number of people in eternity. We're just concerned about the number of people in the pews. And what has happened, the reason why so many churches don't feel they're lame duck churches is because the way you get them is the way you keep them. The spirit must be the driving force behind everything that we do. And that means, as I said, Paul is no stronger, he is no more powerful, and surely he is no more capable to endure what he endured than any of us are. So why do we give up so easily? Paul was willing to be stoned, and I'm sure when Paul woke up, he was like, oh, I'm still alive. He was willing to pay the price of death for what he believed, yet we won't even risk our income over the truth. Yeah, I would say something, but you know, I got to work. The Lord know I got to work. I got to have a job. 
You know, I would say something, but, you know, that's my friend. I don't want to disrupt that friendship. And, you know, we've been friends for 30 years. You know, I would say something, but I don't want them to be upset. I don't want them to be mad. And yet we have all of these people who have the same spirit we claim to have who are willing to die for what they believed in. Do you think the people right now in Asia, in these other countries, which you may not even know about the persecution that's going on, you think they got more Holy Spirit than we do? Of course not. They are no more saved than we are. They are no more empowered than we are. Perhaps they're just actually saved. The Spirit empowers us to endure with grace the full barrage of what Satan would otherwise use to stop the work of God. Here Paul was beaten, but if we go back, we remember that for Nehemiah, there were lies that were told on him when he wanted to rebuild the wall, yet he never stopped. For Daniel, his refusal to bow to the king ended him up in a lion's den, yet he survived, same as the case with the three Hebrew boys. Though thrown into a furnace, they were sustained. Same is the case with Joseph, who was sold into slavery because of the jealousy of his brothers. See, what we see here is not an example of great men doing great things. But what we see are fallen, broken, weak, sinful men who dedicated their lives by the grace of God to a great God. That's what we see. And the writer in Hebrews makes mention of this, and I think the writer says it in far better way than I can. Hebrews 11 and 7. Hebrews 11 and 7. He says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he commended he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inher as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Listen to this. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out. They would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The writer here concludes that all of these people were able to do all that they were able to do because they knew that they were not created to dwell here for all of eternity. They knew that they were in a temporary dwelling place, but there was, in fact, an eternal home that was being prepared for them. And that is where their eyes were fixed. The faith they had was not something that they were able to conjure up themselves, but God gave it to them. We are all saved by the grace of God and him overcoming and resisting our will to not be saved at all. But rather the faith that was given to them was from God and it was perfected in them and in us through Jesus Christ. He is the author, the originator and the finisher, the completer of our faith. See, again, the sermon is unstoppable, but it ain't about you being unstoppable. It is about God. The Hebrew writer goes even further. He says in 1132, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world has, was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's scripture. That's it. Would you look at that list? I mean, really. And let's be clear. This isn't about these people. It is about God. It is about his track record. It is about his history. Not only does the Hebrew writer masterfully lay out all these men and women and what they accomplished, 
But he also lays out what the cost of what they did was. Some of them gave up their lives. He says they were destitute. They were homeless. Some of them were stoned. Some of them were cut in half. That is the cost of what we believe is true. If we want to do great and lasting work for the Lord, we must know that it will cost us our lives. Now, I don't mean that you will literally physically die. You may. But it means that I am surrendering what is normally the course of my life to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What I would have done otherwise I have given, which is why the Bible says every day you bear your cross, you take up your cross and you die. Who are we dying to? We're dying to ourselves. Every single day we get up and we decide to crucify the flesh that wants to win out. See, the struggle for many of us is that while God is unstoppable in his plans, too many of us are living lives according to our own plans. We are living according to our own course of life. And too many of us think that we can attain heaven on earth. See, when the Bible says that this oft quoted scripture, all things work together for the good. That's where we stop. That's it. All things work together for the good. Amen. We post it. We quote it. We share it. We get it tattooed. But that's not what the scripture actually says. Of course, we would all like to believe that all things work together for the good of all people, but that's not the case. All things will only work for our good when our lives are being lived out according to the purposes of God. For those of us who are called according to his purpose. Unfortunately, many of us who are outside of the faith, though we may think we are inside, we don't see the work of God coming together for our good. And that's why. So the minute that our Christian confession disrupts our ability to be happy, then we go with what actually makes us happy. But the track record we see here is that these great men and women set aside their own comfort. They set aside their own happiness, but for much greater gain. And that was eternal joy with Jesus. There is nothing you can do to disrupt a Christian who has eternity etched in their hearts because nothing you can offer is ever as satisfying as Jesus and no abuse that you can offer will ever be worse than hell that's the perspective this is why the Bible describes our suffering as momentary and light they are momentary because eternity well, it lasts forever and they are light because none of our afflictions are the cross. 
And the writer says, then says, therefore, or because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, because we have seen and read and heard of all those who went before us, we can look to their example and hold fast to the truth of our faith. Because we have this cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and, 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 and the sin that clings so closely to us. Through every obstacle on this course of life, every trial, every tribulation, we must run with endurance. Now, when we say endurance, I want you to look at it through this lens. I don't know how many of y'all in here are runners. I'm not a runner, okay? I just started doing cardio again. And when I get on that treadmill, you know, I'm trying to get my mile down as low as possible. So I got it like below eight minutes, you know, which ain't great, but, you know, better than some of y'all. So most of the time when you are on that treadmill and you're running, anybody who runs knows this. There, whatever, however long it takes your mile, halfway through, you hit a wall. It is called runner's wall. And I mean, smack. Like, it's like, I'm finna die. I'm about to die on this treadmill. I literally cannot go. And for me, it's usually right around that three to four minute mark, I hit a wall. And, you know, my lungs feel like they are collapsing and my legs feel like they are in cement and I can barely breathe. And I'm thinking, this is it. They're going to tell the story. Brandon died on a treadmill. Like, that's how he died. He went the way he lived. And, like, and you realize it's not as bad as it probably feels right now. And so for me, the only hope I have to get past that which is what most people don't do, but this is what I do, is I look at the distance. When I, can't, I don't look at the clock, I don't worry about that, I look at the distance. Because the reality is, if I realize, if I'm keeping my eyes focused on how close I am to that mile, I'm not stopping, no matter how bad I feel, right before the mile is over. Because that's a letdown. I ran all that time just to stop before the destination. Listen, if there's anything I've learned, is that running, it's about endurance. If I've learned anything else about Christianity, our faith, it's about endurance. There are times when we hit walls in our lives. I don't mean one wall. The older you get, the more walls pop up, okay? But it's about endurance. It's about keeping your eyes focused on the prize. And let me tell you, the reward is not heaven. Heaven's not a reward. The prize is Jesus. That's it. He's our great reward. And so on the times when we feel like we cannot continue, we must remember that it's about endurance. 
And I'm not going to give you one of those famous, you feel like that, boy, because you're almost at the end. You might not be. You might be at the beginning. You might be at the middle. You might be at the end. But the reality is, is that there is a course that has been set before us as believers, and we must stay on the course. And the only way we can do that is by looking towards our destination. I know I have to get to a certain point in my life and some point this soul is going to be taken out of this body and it's amazing what happens after you run a mile in 7.45. You look back and you realize it was only seven minutes. I'm going to tell you now, each one of us, no matter what our destination is, we're going to arrive in eternity one day. No matter how long you live, I don't care if it's 50 years or 150 years, you're going to look back and you think, man, that wasn't enough time. A few years is nothing when eternity is at stake. The unfortunate reality is that some of us are going to have our first real grasp of what time is because we're not going to wake up with Jesus. We're going to wake up on the opposite side. And we're going to be like the rich man who said, I, I, I need to go back. Just let me tell my brothers because now I finally have a concept of what all of life was about. He says, no. Because your brothers have the same thing you have. They had Moses and the prophets. And even if a man comes back from the dead, that won't be enough. You know why? Because a man did come back from the dead. In Jesus. And if Jesus is not enough for us to believe, every tomb could be resurrected right now and we will reject it. Listen, the whole pattern of our life is that we are on a course. This is the last thing, last scripture, and I'm done. Philippians 3 and 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, 
I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As I close, Paul makes it clear that in his reaching forward, it wasn't for selfish ambition. It wasn't to be the best preacher. It wasn't to make the most money. It was none of that. He said he had one goal in mind, and that was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Life causes us a great deal of strain and stress, but that is because in Christ Jesus, there's a great reward for us, and that's him. And so my encouragement for you today as we close is to keep going forward. No matter the obstacle, no matter the strain, no matter the stress, keep your eyes fixed firmly on Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone. Let's pray.